Jesse and Sophia here. Who else would it be? Um, we're here in Jesse's newly renovated abode. Oh, finally. It took four months. It's quite spectacular. I, I like it. It's pretty good. I helped. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, my husband, did the, the brunt of it, but I ripped up a floor. Yeah. So that was fun. Didn't you help varnish things? I varnished the ceiling. See. Yeah. Woman of many talents. <laughs> because I was made to. <laughs> You're like, it wasn't by choice. Yeah. Well, didn't you come home and he had like started ripping up yes, the Yes, I came home from Fat Chance rehearsal. He's like, ah, I just felt like ripping up the ceiling. <laughs> <sighs> and what am I going to do? Divorce him? It's always an option. <laughs> <laughs> nah. He's okay, I guess. Yes, but if it's a little echoey, it's because there's not a whole lot in my abode. And, and if you hear a mew, that's our special guest. <laughs> that is Iggy, and he hates it when people are not paying attention to him, so he might have a lot of opinions. He's a diva. Maybe. Like, he, he is might. a diva. He might. He might just be going to bed right now with his partner, Yuri. <laughs> his, life mean, partner. his life partner. I mean that in the romantic sense, too. <laughs> I don't judge them. They're about to lick each other's buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I asked the vet about, and the vet was like, eh, it's a bit weird. <laughs> Cats are so fucking weird. And gross. Cats we're, are gross. <laughs> we're both cat owners, and cats are definitely fucking weird. But that's that's what's so lovable about them. Yes. Anyway, so I guess we should talk about dance shit, since yeah. like, this is a dance podcast. So we wanted to talk about um, festivals and how sort of the festival scene has changed mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's evolving. It's always evolving. So. Yeah. Um, we just had Rakasa. Yeah. There he is again. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the beginning of festival season and it yeah. pretty much will go until September. <laughs> yeah. So October, is it? Yeah, October I guess is technically the end because Sirens Fest. Yep. Festival season for us actually used to start earlier. It used to start in March. With cues and tattoos. With cues and tattoos. And I actually think Rakasa used to be before cues. Yeah, because Rakasa, yeah, was like a right. It was always kind of like a dry run for us of um, cues and tattoos, and then now it's after historically when cues would have been. So first year without cues, yeah. First year, and I felt weird not to be in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely was. I felt like I should be getting ready for something when I wasn't, and got a little like anxious about it. Like, yeah, huh. Yeah, so if you've never if you never had the opportunity to go, Cues and Tattoos was a festival up in Seattle. And it ran for eleven years, I think. Yeah. Before they decided to move on to other, other things. things. Yeah. Life finds a way. I mean eleven years is a good run. Yeah, it really is. It pretty much spans my entire dance career. <laughs> well, Rakasa just did, celebrated its 40th. 40th anniversary. Jesus. I mean, it's astounding. Yeah. What a legacy. I know. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about before how sort of like all of the big festivals. Well, not all of them. No. But like the major West Coast, West Coast festivals. Are reducing in numbers. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't really have those like huge like tentpole or like flagship yeah. festivals anymore where it's all the big names. Yeah. You know, in one place and totally. just like a buttload of performances. However, there are a lot of small community events um popping up. I wouldn't say in their place. But I think people are, are looking smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Right yeah, now. I mean, I think these, I think a lot of these smaller festivals have existed for a long time. Like, The Eyes Have It. The Eyes Have It has been around for like eight years. 
I've only been aware of it for a few years. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like their eighth or ninth year. And Coast, up. Coastal Belly Fest in Santa Cruz. What fourth year? or fifth fourth? year, probably, Jeez. I think. Hot Rocks in Clovis. Third? Third year. CSQ, fourth or fifth year. Wow. Yeah, so I feel like while the big festivals that we sort of grow up with, like Cues and Tattoos, Tribal Fest, Third Coast, mm-hmm. like the videos when I was a baby dancer waiting like every May. Oh my God, I remember that. I just wait for the torrent. The yeah, torrent of, yeah. of dance, of videos. Tribal Fest videos to yeah. come out. And like even when I was in, in London, the Cues and Tattoos videos, for me, that was a big thing. And Tribal Massive videos. And Massive is still around. Mm-hmm. Massive is still really successful from what I understand. But I feel like the focus has shifted from either very targeted, like they, they switch from very big, broad festivals to more targeted. Like, yeah. Like uh, Homecoming mm-hmm. is very targeted towards ATS dancers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Massive is targeted towards Fusion. Right. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's got opinions, okay? He's, he's got a point. <laughs> or there's a lot of uh, smaller community ones. Yeah, and it's interesting because I would say the smaller community events are heavily on the cabaret side. Yeah, Hot Rocks is definitely a heavy cab, on the cab side. S- Coastal Belly Fest is a lot of cab dancers. Yeah. ATS is like, I mean, we frequently will go to smaller events and be, be one only. of two, yeah. maybe ATS or the, or the only ATS performers in the entire weekend. Right. <laughs> right. Which is equal parts uh, cool and terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree that like, I think that the, the events that are still in existence are a little more niche. So I feel like there's a lot of talk about the community or the scene getting smaller. Um, Is it in a downturn? Um, When you look at the big picture, maybe, like all the big festivals that used to happen aren't happening, at least in the the Bay Area, class sizes are getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. But when you examine it a little bit further, there's a lot happening. Mm-hmm. Like Sophia and I were discussing, like being in the Bay Area, we're spoiled for choice when it comes to classes and instructors. We could take a class every single day of the week in a different style every, every single day, every single day, <laughs> and we can go to a show or or something like almost every single week. There's something happening. So, is that scene shrinking? Maybe. Hmm. Is it changing? Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot. It's more internal. Yeah. You know? I think I think what the loss of or the end of Tribal Fest and Cues and Tattoos kind of revealed is how sort of um, temporary co- yeah. the community is. You know, it's very it's very fleeting mm-hmm. and sort of ephemeral in that way. It's like everyone would come together around this particular event every year and there was like always this huge push mm-hmm. getting up to it you know and then you're like in the thick of things and then everyone leaves yeah. you know everyone goes back to their respective cities and mm-hmm. like you have that really intense community experience for yeah. that weekend and then I don't know that it necessarily like persists after that you know so mm-hmm. it was sort of like this kind this like seasonal experience and I think once those things went away what I heard a lot myself included but what I heard from other dancers is like oh I really missed that opportunity where we all got together right and saw each other the sort of camaraderie around it yeah and like yeah you know I think it's that was always a really fun and exciting experience but like is that really like community you know like yeah, I mean it's a good it's a good point. Like, I know that I liked going to Seattle not only because of the dancing, but I got to see people like Rich, mm-hmm. 
who, if you're listening, Rich, I love you. Um, So, yeah, a big part of going to these festivals was to see my friends, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Tribal Fest was was huge because I got to see a lot of people from the UK scene that I don't get to see anymore would would go, and I would get to see them for maybe 10 minutes, but Mm -hmm. it was nice to see them. So, yeah, I mean... but yeah, you're right. It's definitely fleeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it made everyone realize how sort of like fragile the entire thing mm-hmm. was. You know, the fact that we kind of like needed this, this big event for all of us to come together. Yeah. <clears throat> and now that it's not there, we don't bother. Yeah. I mean, there are people that I literally like would probably never see again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a tribal fest. Or cues. <laughs> or yeah. cues. So, I mean, you know, it's not like, it's not a judgment thing. It's not no. a good thing or a bad thing that these festivals have come and gone. It's a sort of just like the evolution of, of where we are. And I think we've talked in the past about how ballet dances at sort of this interesting transitional yeah. phase. And this is just kind of, this is just kind of part of it. But like you said, there's tons of, there's tons, tons of, of events. things. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about. I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but we definitely have talked about this in person. Like the smaller festivals tend to hire middle tier instructors, mm-hmm. not top tier because they, they can't, can't really afford, afford it. it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's just that they don't see that much success because of it. You know, they, they break even, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's, but then, then that brings up, the whole festival format and, and performance format of paying to play, which mm-hmm. I think has been a, a topic we've definitely seen floating around the community a lot. But um, before I get into that, I seem to remember that blog by Abigail Keys. Mm-hmm. Why I'm glad belly dance in the U.S. is declining. That was the title of her post. Some of the highlights involve the community, the scene, doing a lot of soul searching. But her point was like, it's a good thing because it's what, like the people who aren't that into it are kind of falling by the wayside or? Uh, yeah, pretty much. People who aren't that into it, you know, are falling by the wayside. We're doing a lot of soul searching as a community um, or as a scene, however you want to define it. I think her point was like, Fads come and go. Mm-hmm. Belly dances definitely was in its heyday at some point. Now it's in the decline, but belly dance has been big and declined before. So yeah. we're seeing mm-hmm. it in a recession right now. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it, and if this is the bottom, it's not a really bad, <laughs> I was going to say, that's not a bad bottom. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So I think her last quote in this, um, as a teacher, really uh, struck a chord with me. She goes, before it returns to the popular spotlight, those of us who are still dancing must create the resources and foundation to empower the next generation. So it's basically like, as the next generation, or as teachers and dancers who will be working with the next generation, Mm -hmm. we got time to get our shit together before... We're ready to pass on that legacy. Right. So it makes me wonder if our teachers had that opportunity too. Like if they ever experienced what they see as a decline mm-hmm. and got their shit together. Five, ten years ago, sort of like ten years ago, was probably about like the peak of, of like tribal belly dance. That was what, 2009? Was the belly dance superstar still touring? I think they were in 2009. But before that, 2006, 2007, I was working for them. And they were in their absolute heyday in Europe. Yeah. So 10 plus years ago. Yeah. But I mean, the people that were like famous 10 plus years ago are Are still still the the people people that are famous famous today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't feel like, and this is not intended to be like sour grapes or anything, but I don't feel like there has been a lot of preparation for. Or maybe they just haven't had time. Well, I, I mean, I just don't think that there necessarily is a concern about <laughs> about like passing the baton to 
the next generation of dancers. Yeah. There has definitely been an, an increase in intensives and in passing on that sort of knowledge and the certifications, like eight elements and key the keys that um, Zoe's doing. And that only happened when Valley Night Superstars stopped touring and they started right. doing a lot more local stuff. Anyway, <laughs> back to festivals. <laughs> I don't know. I've been liking the smaller events. I feel like I'm getting to know new people, even though I'm awkward and weird and hard to approach. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Requiem, it was Requiem's first year. That was it Marjani Bellamort's yeah, Marja- thing. Marjani Bellamort. It was really, um, a, really a cathartic event because um, it was about loss, really. Like In sort of the wake of these huge parts of our yeah. community experience going away right. plus you know various important figures well, passing on mm-hmm. uh, when you walked into the tower theater in fresno which is this amazing old theater um they had funeral wreaths everywhere well not everywhere like positioned intermittent like in different parts of the room and one was for john compton one was for camille who we recently lost in the San Francisco Bay Area scene. Um, uh, Josephine Riggs. Like, people who have been in the scene for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and people were discussing what we're discussing now is these, these loss, festival losses. And a lot of people dedicated pieces to um, dying, uh, you know, loved ones that have passed on, dancers that have passed on, uh, Jamila Salampour, they did a piece dedicated to her. So it was really cathartic, and I think the community was really, um, that was there, it was small, it was a small festival, but the people who were there were so supportive of one another, because everyone was in such a fragile place, Mm -hmm. because it was about the death of so many people and things. Right. So... But people stood by each other and held each other up, and it's not anything I've ever experienced at a dance festival before, because at reunion, like, I'm always super on edge, because I'm a teacher and, like, anxious. But Requiem, I got to, like, sit back more and observe, Mm -hmm. and there was no drama no like if there was a problem everybody swarmed around each other to help fix it there was no judgments nothing right it was really emotional i cried because of fucking belladonna <laughs> and her fucking and ken vegas watch their piece when it comes out you guys will understand but yeah it's yeah it's, i've never experienced an event like that before mm-hmm. where people were just there for each other right but it also made sense with what the theme of the event was. Yeah. Is she going to do it again next year? Or she has is. she announced she dates? Is. Um, she She announced dates, and Rikasa announced dates, and it happened to be the same weekend. So they're working together to figure oh, it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, people were like, it's nobody's fault. This shit happens. It's good that we're talking to each other mm-hmm. about it. Because it's not a competition. Right. The audience for Requiem and the audience for Rakasa definitely overlaps. Yeah. Even though they're two different style of events, but you know, people like <laughs> that do overlap want to do both. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Event organizers, please talk to each other. <laughs> please. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't think Rakasa was going to happen again after. Shikri. Well, we didn't think. Rikasa was going to happen again this year yeah, because Shakria passed away, yeah. who ran it for 39 years. Yeah, but her daughter said it was really important to her to uphold the legacy. I don't know how Michelle does it because she also does Rikasa East. Yeah, I mean, 40 years. Yeah. I'm sure that Rikasa has seen... It definitely has because it used to be in Richmond and that huge space with a huge you know, stage in the one room, and then they had to downsize it to the Mm -hmm. center Concord, which is smaller. Yeah. But the vibe is the same. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think by the time that we started dancing with like Blue Diamonds and performing at Ricasa, it was already, it was definitely past sort of like peak, Yeah. the peak stage of that, mm-hmm. of that festival. But I mean, it's a Bay Area institution. So it's good to hear that they're coming back for next year. Yeah, totally. God bless the event organizers. Because it is not an easy job. Mm-mm. It is not an easy job. I dabbled in it myself. And I used to think it was completely thankless. Because it is. <laughs> well, it is and it isn't. But when I was working for the Superstars, um, we used to put together a tribal London in Rocks, Britannia. And it was, there was only three of us working on that event. Anyway, lots of moving parts, lots of expenses that you do not predict, and high risk. So, God bless the event organizer. Yeah. And I used to hate everybody leading up to the event. (laughs) Leading up to the event, I was like, why do I do this? This is so stressful. You know, and then we got to the event and it would be happening and I would be exhausted because I'd be working like 12 to 16 hour days. Mm-hmm. But everybody in the room was so appreciative. And yeah. So happy that by the end of it, you're just like, well. Simultaneously, I was doing Firewater mm-hmm. for, with Hannah, who's a lovely fusion dancer in London, and Philippa Marai. And. There were times where we didn't make any money. We managed to just cover expenses. And, well, yeah, I know. It's shitty, huh? But, uh, and there were times, and, and we couldn't pay the performers, mm-hmm. you know? We, we got a hold of them and said, being honest, we don't know if we're going to have money at the end of the night to pay you. But we would appreciate a performance. Yeah. <laughs> it's really up to you whether or not you want to do it. No hard feelings. Right? And then it got, it grew and grew and grew. And we got to the point where we were able to throw them money for travel. And then we got to a point where we uh, started uh, doing workshops that corresponded with the event. So we were able to get some profit from that. And we wouldn't have to worry about paying for the venue. So we would have money in sort of a little bank account Mm -hmm. to be able to always cover our cost and pay the dancers so it definitely is a thing that grows yeah you have to sort of plant the seed and sometimes you hate it and you want to never do it again and really (laughs) throw in the towel but it really is you just have to be persistent yeah right and that's how you grow a community Mm -hmm. firewater is still going it just celebrated its 10th anniversary last year which i was so happy to be a part of I guess that taps into the whole pay-to-play thing, too. Right. Like, those, the, do you want to dance for free? Right. And, I mean, I don't think there are very many organizers who run events because they're trying to make a shit ton of money off no. of it. <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, like, people are going to start something because they want they want to create an opportunity for people to come together. Right. And I... I remember working for the Belly Dance Superstars and my boss specifically saying, you don't do festivals because you want to make money. You do it because you're trying to, you're trying to, I mean, for them, it was to big up the Belly Dance Superstars, Mm -hmm. you know, and sell their merch, Mm -hmm. which was hugely successful at the time. This is a long time ago now, but, um. So pay-to-play refers to either uh, requiring people to take workshops in order to perform or straight up charging for the performance slot. A performance fee. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've definitely done as a dancer, performer, paid to be in a Hofla. Like, it was never expensive. It was like... It was more like, throw us a couple bucks so we can cover the event mm-hmm. space. It was never like, we're trying to make money off of this. Mm-hmm. So this came up a little bit um, with respect to Requiem? A little bit, um, because, like I said, it was a small event. There was a lot of teachers for a, a pretty small event. Um, 
so and it was in Fresno which isn't the easiest place for people to get to from what I understand but yeah I think like the workshop attendance wasn't as, as great as I think they were originally hoping again fledgling event maybe people are waiting for round two to see mm-hmm. it grow and be more solidified right yeah I mean I think it's a totally fair requirement to have I and I would say more it's more common than it is not. Right, and at Cues and Tattoos, you are expected to purchase... A workshop. At least one workshop in order to be on the open stage. Mm-hmm. Um, Casa doesn't require any payment. No, they give preference for stage... Right. Uh, st- stage performance to people who are taking workshops. Yeah. So if you, it's like if you register for the workshops that are at Orcasa, you get the opportunity to do a sign up for a performance spot early. Um, and if any of you have ever tried to get into Orcasa, <laughs> it used to be like you had to wake up stupid early in the morning and call in. And since the call, the call in opened, like everybody would be flooding the line. So you'd spend like an hour and a half just listening to a busy signal. And we used to coordinate like times. Yeah, we had, like, tree. phone tree. Yeah, we had phone with tree. blue like, diamonds. Yeah, so in an hour, these three people would call, and then the next hour, those three, you know, the next three people would call, and I used to have to block out an entire fucking day. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that they switched to a web application, or right. not even, a, like, sign up, because... Which is still, like, harrowing. We yeah. still, like, we're, we have not ever been fast enough to get onto the main stage. No, that's why we're always <laughs> on the cabaret stage. It's not because people don't want us on the main stage. It's because we're not fast enough. We're not fast enough. Our clicking fingers are too slow. Well, and the, for the past couple of years, the sign-up day has been the same weekend as reunion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the two of us were. <laughs> yeah, and well, three, really, because Michio. Michio, yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah, past couple of years, it's been like, shit, we got to vend or teach or, you know, we have this whole event going on, but we're trying to sign up for another event. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's been it's been bonkers. Right. I mean, Rakasa is extremely generous, right? They don't they don't have that many workshops, so I think it would be I don't think that they would have the capacity <laughs> right. to have that many people in their workshops if they required everyone to do it. But they also give all of the dancers free admission, free admission. Yeah. and like even if your troupe is like twenty people, right. like all twenty of them are gonna get into the show for free. Yeah. So I always feel I always feel bad, like guilty about not going to the entire weekend. Right. Since we get in for free. And like I think that kind of ties into like what are our responsibilities sort of as like community members. Yeah. You know, like I kind of feel like if if an organizer wants to require you to take a workshop in order to perform, like that's that seems totally fair to me. If that's how they're going to make sure that they can make that opportunity happen, the least you can do is, like, take yeah. a workshop. Yeah. I mean, I have paid for workshops just to perform and, and not, not gone, gone to, to the workshop. <laughs> yeah. I think that was because we were hungover. I mean, yeah. Okay, there was that, there was that one year at Q's when I was, like, terribly hungover. But, yeah, there was a span of time where I actually, if I would not take workshops... At events. At events. Just because, like, well, one, as an ATS dancer, unless you're going to an ATS-specific event, oftentimes, like, there just isn't anything for your... Your For ATS dancers. And not to say that you can't learn amazing things from people outside of your... that was your focus. But that was was my focus. And, you know, I would take lots of workshops. I did, like, a full-day intensive with, like, the Indigo when they Mm -hmm. came to Seattle. And it was, like, awesome. It was a great experience. But, like... Did I take anything long-lasting from it that I felt like I actually applied to being a better ATS dancer? Probably not. Right. Um, which isn't to say that you shouldn't study with other teachers or people outside of your discipline. We encourage people to do that all the time. Yeah. But for me, at the point that I was at when I was like s- sort of an intermediate dancer, it didn't feel like the best use of my time or the best use of my money. For me, it was like, I want to spend that money going to class regularly or taking private well, lessons. Well, see, and that's the thing. Like, I'm encouraged, when I encourage people to cross-train, I encourage they do it regularly, not in one-offs. Yeah, you don't want to just, like, dip in. Because 
<laughs> Jesse's cat is just rolling around on the ground right now. He found the oh, mouse. Oh, he's, he's playing with a mouse. A fake mouse, Ooh, not a real mouse. He's throwing it around. Oh my god, he's never done this with people here before. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, cat interlude. <laughs> cat interlude. Aww. But yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely festivals that kind of focus more on like the performance part of it like the point of it is to have an open stage and have people come and like yeah they might offer workshops like one or two workshop but shop blah, workshops but that's not like yeah the main the focus main focus is, of yeah. the festival whereas having you know something like cues and tattoos where there were like a shit ton of workshops you know. gotta cover those costs exactly and so it seems fair that if you're gonna set all this shit up like it seems like a fair requirement. I don't know. Were people like yeah. upset about? Uh, yes, people were upset about it. I've read about other events since then where people have been like, well, it's really not up to the community to hold up the event. It's really up to the event organizer to appeal to enough people that they don't have to worry about it or to just flat out cover the cost of the event. I understand both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. As somebody who attends a festival, Like, I have never, I personally have never been worried about throwing the event some money either on workshops or entry because I've been on the other side Mm -hmm. and have felt that complete stress and anxiety about what if I can't cover the pay Mm -hmm. for the venue? What if I can't cover the pay for the dancer fee? Like... It's a huge risk that these people are making. And sometimes they even have, like, their own money invested. Like, it's not... They're not pulling this money out of the air. This is, like, their... I'm not saying they're mortgaging their house either, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, they're probably paying to reserve the venue before any of the ticket money comes in. So, like, yeah, right. that is their... That's coming out of it's their pocket. It's a huge risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of dancers aren't millionaires. So, I mean, yeah. I, I can't point the finger at event organizers. I can't point the finger at community... At, at people in the scene who don't want to participate in that way, I get both sides. Yeah. I mean, ideally, like, it would be sort of like a symbiotic relationship where, you know, people are getting a performance opportunity out of it and the people who are putting the time and the effort and the money into creating the opportunities for people to get on stage feel like they're, it's worth it to them. Right. You know, whether that means, like, Ideally, maybe they're getting a little bit and it's just they're able to at least cover their costs mm-hmm. and maybe get like a little bit on top of that. Yeah. You know, like that's really sort of probably best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with Firewater, cover your costs, be able to pay the dancers you at least travel money, gas money, something, you know, and then have enough left over to reserve the venue for next time so you're not dipping into your own pocket and your own savings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely been there and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't think people should ever expect, they should never feel like entitled to the opportunity to get on stage. You and know what I mean? Did you say that earlier tonight when we were just chatting? Like you never felt that you were entitled to a performance? Yeah, I still don't. I mean, I never feel... I Getting on stage is, like, always a privilege, and I'm always, like, thankful for the tireless people that, yeah. you know, make those make those opportunities happen. possible. Which, why, which is why it's always, like, the idea that if you're going to run, like, a class series or something, mm-hmm. you know, like, the best way... People always say, like, the best way to get to fill a class series is to, like, attach a performance opportunity to it. And right, it's like, right, right. you know, I get that people, like, enjoy getting on stage and shit, but it's like, you should want to learn the shit because you want to learn it. Yeah. Not just because, like, you want you the opportunity to, to get on stage. Yeah. That always really frustrated me. But that's, because like... that's your, your work ethic, though. Right. Because, I mean, I don't feel like, even even if I did, like, a whatever, a performance series, 
I would never just assume that because I've done that, because series? I've done that series that I'm like stage ready. Oh you know? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's one thing, you know, like obviously there are situations where that's totally appropriate, like a Hofla or, you know, like a super low key. They used to have student events all the time or student performers at underground nomads mm-hmm. all the time. Like there's a time and place for that. Certainly. But I don't know. That just always frustrated me. Well, I also I also think that, um, like you said, there's a time and a place for it. Like Hoflas, sure. Sunday community festivals. If you're a student learner, I you know if you're still an intermediate beginner student, that is the best place. Yeah, totally. To start your getting your performance face and game up and going, you know, up and running. Are these like smaller community events? Like Sunday streets, like you know, any other hoplas or festivals that you have, because that's really where you start working on your dancer performer chops, and and they're safe spaces too, because everybody's rooting for you. Mm-hmm. But a stage show where people are paying fifty dollars a ticket, do I want that to be my first fusion performance? <laughs> oh hell no! <laughs> Did I want that when I was a, a baby dancer? No. That's that's just me. Yeah. The reason I do a group group dance is because I don't actually want people to look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to participate, but don't look at me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't like doing solos because I was like, oh shit, know, it's all right? focused on me. Don't look at me. I know. But you know, like there, like there's a time and a place for performance intensive, mm-hmm. and like it seems, you know, like. Tribal Massive. Yeah, because they have a lot of time to work with each other. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about like, what, like a week long, several days of intensive work with a particular instructor. And they usually um, have a level, like this one's for intermediate dancers, this one's for advanced dancers. You're not going in there blind, Mm -hmm. never doing a dance class before, only dance for like three months. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to what we were saying before, like Tribal Massive is a really good example of like very specific sort of like niche offering. You know, it isn't just this like broad open stage situation. Mm -hmm. Like they have specific tracks and you need to have a certain level of proficiency in order to do these things. And then they put on super high quality, like amazing stage shows. But yeah, so... Pay to play seems fair to me. I don't, I personally don't really see what the issue with that is. Mm, Yeah. Like I said, I personally don't have any qualms about throwing in a couple bucks because I have been on the other side. Right. But if you don't have that perspective about having your personal funds tied up in this investment that may or may not succeed if you don't have that perspective you don't if you've never gone through that i could see how you would question it and you would pers- you would kind of see it as a money grab but you, like I, we were both saying you don't put on belly dance events to make money no there's so many other ways to make money <laughs> yeah yeah you just don't it's it's not a thing you do yeah we also should probably acknowledge the fact that like we come from a place of being able to go to, to travel to festivals in other States and pay for workshops, which is a luxury that not everybody has. Definitely. Um, and I think that we probably need to think about ways to like make those opportunities more accessible to other people. And like Elise Jambala is a fantastic festival. It's in Portland in August and Elise is just in she's just amazing at like creating this really inclusive environment mm-hmm. she's very she's in, extremely mindful yes um and I know that they do have like a scholarship opportunity yeah. like when you buy your tickets you can opt to donate like a dollar which is an incredibly smart way of doing it because mm-hmm. a dollar you can find that change in your car yeah um and if you you know you want to apply for a scholarship you should don't ask don't get <laughs> am i right yeah 
exactly. go for it. Fuck it. What is yeah. it. What's the worst they can say, no? Yeah. Then you're in the same position you're in now. Mm-hmm. Who cares? But I would love to see other festivals offer. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of the um, certification programs have been doing scholarships, too. Like, Cami um, does it for Chrysalis. Um, I'm a scholarship recipient for Eight Elements this summer. I'll be an initiate, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be cool to see more events do it. Yeah, I think that um, I think that John Bala is a really great model for events for events in terms of like inclusivity, diversity in terms mm-hmm. of instructors. Elise always has like a really huge range of different styles. Yeah. And you know what? Go to Jambala. It's <laughs> fucking dope. You go to Portland, you go to Cargo, which is this amazing fucking shop with all this amazing shit. You, you eat go get donuts. donuts. You, you go to workshops and an awesome show with, with, yeah. It's just so well put together. Can't recommend Jambala enough. The whole, like, use it or lose it thing, that, I think, is a little bit more complicated, yes. at least for me. I, I, I get it. And then you sort of touched on it earlier, the idea that, like, you know, there's sort of these competing perspectives on, like, oh, well, you know, if you can't sell, mm-hmm. if you can't sell out your festival, then, like, well, you I'm... just need to find something that, like, is appealing to people. And if you don't find that, then, like, you can't really blame people for not going. Attending. Yeah. Which, you know, it's kind of that struggle between art and commerce, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not everything is going to be successful. Not everyone is going to want to attend everything. So I don't really know. I don't really know what the balance of that is. Yeah. it's It's this thing where... You know, we we did, I did say that is it the event sponsors or the event producers' entire responsibility to ensure that the event is properly paid for and taken care of, and that people buy tickets by hiring the the creme de la creme of teachers that everybody wants to learn with, or is it the community's responsibility or the scene's responsibility or the dancers' responsibility? to take a chance on a dancer that they've never heard of, which is also a risk, mm-hmm. right? We're all so risk averse. Would I personally take a risk on studying with an instructor that I maybe don't didn't know. know as well? I don't know. I don't know. And like, that's not really fair. Yeah. Well, no, I have in the past. And I'll give you a concrete example. Um, I didn't know Angie, never, for a long time. And then I took one of her workshops at Reunion, or, yeah, Reunion. I didn't really know her as a teacher, but I immediately fell in love. Oh, my God. If you ever have a chance to study with Angie, she is an incredible instructor. Yeah, She's just, she's so, like, just the way that she phrases things. I don't know, like... And the way she commands a room. She is so commanding. Oh my god. I would listen I would just listen to her talk like all day. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it was necessarily me taking a risk or me just like being curious. Being curious. Yeah. But I it makes me want to be more curious about and and jumping into other teachers that I might not know. And maybe that risk will pay off or that curiosity will pay off. Maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. But either way, I've learned something. Yeah. But I think it's unfair to point the finger at anybody in particular. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously a pretty com- complex situation. Right. It's also not anybody's fault because we don't have any people coming into the scene. Yeah. Like, we're all just selling to each other. Yeah, which we talked about, I think, in the, God, the last episode, like, a million years ago. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um... How a lot of it is just, like, passing the buck from one pocket to the other. other. And, yeah, event producers, you're selling to people who are already invested. Yeah, which is why I get kind of salty about the use it or lose it thing. Like, I am using it, damn it. (laughs) And I fully believe in, like, supporting your local events and supporting your local event producers. And, you know, that might mean 
showing up for an event just to watch. Yeah. You know, paying the admission fee. Paying for a ticket to the show. Exactly. Paying Even, for a day you know, pass. If you're the type of if you're the type of person who's like only gonna go to an event because you get to perform, <laughs> mm. you know, you're maybe not like the yeah. best community member. Yeah. This is all going back to when I was working with a community management team for PlayStation. Um, their goal was never to sell to the people who are bought in. And I feel like that's what, as a scene, we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're leaning so, so hard, hard on, the on the people who are, who are already invested. Yeah. Um, and burnout is real, dude. Burnout is super real. Like, it can't be, like, just people who are already attending the event's responsibility to hold your event up. Like, I they see are already all, paying. Exactly. I see all the same people yeah. at the event. They are already the ones that are happy to give you the money, that are happy to spend you know money on workshops and tickets and day passes and whatever else you require to get in. That's when it becomes like a weird finger-pointing situation. They use it or lose it. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. But you're preaching to the choir here. Exactly. The only people that are hearing that are the people, are the people who, who are, are already going. Investing. So, you know, when I was working for the community management team, they were like, we're not here to sell to the people who are already bought in. They're already bought in. They can't buy in anymore. We're here to try to sell to the people who have not bought in yet. Mm-hmm. That may have a passing interest. How can we get them in and start becoming brand ambassadors. Yeah. And I... How do we do I don't that? know how we do that. I think a really interesting thing, Elise Morris, who runs Jambala, the last couple years, she's always had like a non-belly dance instructor. Oh, yeah. Which I love. I think that's really cool because it gives uh, dancers an opportunity to try something that they maybe never would have tried before, before. Yeah. like this year they're having she's having a hip hop instructor yeah. which is really cool and I like want to take but I'm also scared because <laughs> sounds terrifying but that was also something that we did with Firewater was invite flamenco dancers ODC dancers we really like pulled from this the, the inspiration for, for our styles into the show and we met amazing people, and it drew people from outside of the scene in mm-hmm. and ex- exposed the dance. So that's one way of approaching it. Really smart of, yeah. of Elise to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, I mean, as an organizer, like, if you are concerned about whether or not you're going to be able to, like, cover your costs, I think you also have to consider whether or not you're, like, tapping a well that's already been tapped. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good way of putting it. Tapping a well that's already been tapped. Yeah. Because burnout. Well, burnout is real. <laughs> the people who are, you're, 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 you know, shaking your finger at are the ones that are already bought in. They're already invested. Like, let's start to be creative in the way we go about event production. Yeah. I think that's also why it's really important to present belly dance in non-belly dance contexts. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're super big about doing community, like, non-belly dance community events. Like, we've talked about Sunday Streets a couple times, and I don't know if we've ever, like, actually explained what it is. Uh, Sunday Streets is an open streets event that they do in San Francisco. It runs from, I think, like, late spring into late summer. Yes. And uh, what they do is like it rotates from different um, neighborhoods in San Francisco and they close the streets off to, to cars and it's just like pedestrians and bikes and stuff. We've done a ton of Sunday Streets events and they're always a lot of fun. Oh yeah, we've given away class passes at Sunday Streets. We talk to the community. Some people come specifically for us because they've heard of Fat Chance Belly Dance. You know, some people have never heard of us and are delighted that there is something that is uniquely San Francisco, you know, was built in San Francisco. I, I always make it a point to tell people that ATS started in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So they're always really excited to hear that. And, you know, when I was in London, we did burlesque shows. Like, we weren't stripping, but it was belly dance in a non-belly dance context, which... 
it was always super fun. Mm-hmm. And I think there are dancers that are doing that here. There's the Hubba Hubba Review where there's belly dance there. Um, I'm not sure where else because I'm a shut-in. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's like tons of community events. Yeah. And the thing about ATS is that I think ATS in particular is like very well suited for a vast variety of, of performance situations. family friendly stuff. And family friendly stuff. In terms of like, well, how do we, how do we sort of like expand the reach of our community and try to bring some new blood in? <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> how do we bring new blood in? We stop being so inwardly focused. Right. And I think that's one way to do it is to like seek out these various community events. Um, I think you guys did, well, it was a Tessera thing, which I signed you guys up for and then I was know, not and then bailed. <laughs> and my whole makeup kit got stolen oh, from, yeah, the East Bay Ballet. East, yeah, East Bay Ballet, I think, runs it, or Oakland Ballet. Yeah. And it's called, it was called East Bay Dances. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and Tessera did it, and it was two shows. But we were up there with contemporary dance, ballet. Like, we were the only ballet dance mm-hmm. in the show, I think. But it was really cool. Yeah. Because we got to meet other dancers within um, the Bay Area. And I think you, was were you a part of the textile show? I don't think I did that one. But um, I just, this was another one that I signed us up for and just didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I went through this whole thing where I emailed a bunch of like museums and uh, shows, like trade shows, and you know that's the thing. You have to email a ton of people. Yeah, you gotta beat the pavement. Yeah, it's like I, I liken it to um, photography. You take three hundred <laughs> photos and maybe two are good. Yeah, you email three hundred people, maybe you get two events out of it, but you got something out of it. Um, and I signed us up for this uh, textile show, like ethnic textile show in um, San Francisco. But they wore banjara. They wore like they they, they were totally um, suited for the event. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's another way to to get out there is do a Google search. Yeah, find out what kinds of events are going on in your, in your community. Area, I and you never know. Like we used to do what was that Earth one day? fucking we random did. thing? We used to, Earth Day. We used to do Friday, what was it? Uh, Bites Off Broadway. Yes, Bites Off Broadway. Bites Off Broadway, which is like this random little podunk community event, like in my backyard. It was so tiny. And it was literally just like a thing that I used to go to with Steven because they would have like food trucks. And I was like, oh, this might be like an interesting thing. Maybe like, yeah, they had a nice performance space. There were kids that were like obsessed with looking at us. There were kids. And I was just like, hey. We have some like Why not? do you would you like to have dancers at this event? Yeah. And lo and behold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People don't know that they can ask. Yeah. I think that's true. Cause someone was asking, like, how do you find community events, like non-belly dance things to dance you at? Know it's them. like you literally just ask. Ask. You find some random shit that's happening in your neighborhood. And you ask. Yeah. And if you're a teacher, hey, maybe bring your cards. You might get students out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, people have hired us to do private parties because they saw us at yeah. a random show that we did, like, not thinking we were going to get anything out of it. Yeah. Like, we just did it because we wanted to. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's like as, as dancers and performers... You should, you know, one way that we can try to expand our reach is to bring what we do to sort of unconventional scenarios. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to necessarily, like, sustain our entire community on festivals alone. No. Uh, They're kind of self-limiting. Sure. You know, I was talking to Lee Kobus at Ricasa, Mm -hmm. and... uh, She was saying that, yeah, she's definitely felt the sting of the community being in sort of like a down, downward movement. Mm -hmm. This is a Lee of Um, foolproof. Yes. And, uh, but she was like, but I've experienced this before. 
So it's only going to come back up. So yeah, we we're we're in the state we're that we're in. But I think if we continue working and we continue like putting ourselves out there, the only way we can go is up. Mhm. Yeah, and definitely not like yeah, the use it or lose it thing kind of irritates me sometimes, but also you can't take the opportunities for granted. Yeah. So, which is kind of, I think, where I was coming from with this idea that, like, you should never feel entitled to right. a performance opportunity because someone had to bust their ass to make it happen. There's certainly no shortage of, of things to do. Yeah, see? Whether or, not the, whether or not that necessarily equates to, like, community is a different question. Right. And I think that Sophia Ravenna just did a blog post about community and how, I mean, her thesis is that it's not really community. It's mm. really more of a scene, right? It's like a group of people coming together who have a common interest, but community, like the word community suggests sort of like mutual benefit to people, I think, mm. or like that they're supporting each other mm-hmm. in some way. Like it, to me, community suggests kind of like a more deeply rooted like connection between people. Sure. And not that we don't have that with some people who are in the belly dance right. community, but yeah, no, I definitely see it as a scene because I don't know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense though? Like, I know them as far as I know them on, like, Facebook. I watch their videos. I might be fans of them. But they just happen to be in the same right. scene as me. And, and well, community, I'm thinking of the local community. Yeah. The Bay Area, like... One of these days, we'll have to get Sophia Ravetta on the podcast. Yeah. So she says... I'd like to suggest that when referring to our local or global collection of dancers, we use the word scene, just as there is a music scene or an art scene. That's I think, why it makes sense to me. Right. I think this is a more honest description of what we experience, where we have a varied group of people who have different levels of skill and engagement with our art form. And you have, does she define community? Um, let's see. If there's one word that gets thrown around too much in belly dance, it's community. The problem is that we try to pretend that all belly dancers or all tribal dancers are part of one great big global community. That's simply not the case. How can I be in community with people I've never interacted with at all, online or offline? Even speaking locally, I don't think we can consider there to be, for instance, a Tucson belly dance community or a greater Seattle belly dance community. Um, She said, I attended a workshop a workshop weekend hosted by the owner of a studio I had never attended classes at. And at this event, she saw dancers there who she had, who had been dancing for years, but who she had never, never met before. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, like it's the same thing in the Bay area. Like, yeah, there are the people that you see at every single event. Sarah Shrapnel being one of them. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> I love seeing Sarah at like every event because she's like a constant, Yeah, you know, yeah. she's, <laughs> She's just, like, delightful to be around. Totally. And I saw her at Rakasa getting out of her car. Like, I, I parked next to her, and I was like, you again. Yeah, yeah right? I just saw her at Re- Requiem. I know. I love seeing Sarah at everything. Um, I think I've probably, probably seen Sarah in, like, at least two or three different states. <laughs> <laughs> More in other states than you have in your own city. <laughs> right. <laughs> um... But yeah, you know, it's like, there's just, I think, I think Sophia Ravenna's point about how, um, you know, these events do encompass like a broad range of not dedication, but like, you know, people have varied interest in, in what we do. Some people are very serious hobbyists. Some people are just kind of dabblers. Some people are semi-professional and professional dancers, and that's totally that's totally fine. But these aren't like networking events, you know what I mean? Like it's not like yeah. you don't go there. It's not like a support group, right? Like you're not <laughs> you're not going to a festival to like get mentorship from right. a dancer who's more experienced from you, who's gonna like help you climb right. the ladder yeah. up. And you know that's not what a festival necessarily has to be about, but. What is our responsibility as, like, community members, I mm-hmm. guess? I mean, apart, obviously, like, going to the event mm-hmm. is one thing. But, like, 
how can we be good community members in that context, right? You know, like, I think one, like, a concrete example is, like, I mentioned this before, and obviously we have to talk about Wildcard. <laughs> oh, yeah, the obligatory Wildcard right. mention. But, like, I mentioned, I think, in the last episode how, like, one of their troop guidelines is, like, if you go to an event to perform, you stay... To watch. to watch other people. You yeah. don't just like, it's not just like a fucking drive by. Like, you don't just pop in, perform, and don't talk out. to anybody, yeah. and then like leave. Yeah, no. I agree. I like, I like that approach. And I also like watching other dancers. Mm-hmm. So, I never understood the people who showed up and peaced out. I don't, that's just me. Yeah. If you're tired after you maybe you've had a long day, a long week, and you only have the energy to perform and then you don't have the, you know, capacity, mental or physical capacity to do it, that's fair enough. But if you're doing it every time... <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I will slap you. No, no. I've definitely been in the place where I have not been in a good place mentally to stick around. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think we got yeah. it there. But, I mean, I think that's this is actually would be a good topic for another episode to talk about, like, festival etiquette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not where we were going with this whole festival it season. It isn't, but... Like, festival season is upon us. Be a good event producer and don't point fingers. Be a good community member, like I'm sure you all are being. If you listen to this podcast, you're already bought in. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too deep because you're actually <laughs> listening to this podcast. Exactly. You've listened to us ramble on pointlessly about festivals for the last hour. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's such an integral part. It's such an integral part of like the belly dance scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see how it's changed over the last couple of years yeah. has also been really interesting. And I don't really know... Where, it's, where it's headed. Yeah. It'll be an interesting journey. Usually I'm I'm such a Debbie Downer <laughs> and and say everything is terrible. But um thinking about the scene and the festivals and the classes and you know, seeing a downturn, this is just a transitional period. And I have to switch my mindset from I'm losing opportunities to I have space to create my own. Mm-hmm. I think that's a healthier way to think about it. Yeah. We may be losing or have lost numerous things, but now we have the space to create something brand new that yeah. may, or may or may not have, have existed before. It's definitely true. And you and I have certainly toyed with, toyed the, with the idea of dipping our toes in. Dipping our toes into event production. Because we're just that crazy. (laughs) We're just that masochistic. We're going to call it the Ratchet Retreat. (laughs) Wild Card Girls will be headlining. Yes. And the Queens of Ratchet. The reigning Queens of Ratchet. With their mobile bars. I I don't think they'll be happy that we're talking about that. I don't think they care. I, I hear Raina. I can already see Raina in my head. <laughs> Shushing us. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Christmas won't give a shit. Yeah. Christmas don't give a fuck. Anyway, I mean, we should probably include a list of, like, all the various festivals that we'll be at in the next, mm. for the next six months of our lives. If you're in the Los Angeles area, we're going to be at Cairo Shimmy Quake. Is that in Glendale? Yes, Glendale. It's a smaller festival. And then after that... So that, so it'll be Fat Chance yes. at CSQ. Cairo. We're doing a 12-hour intensive. 12-hour intensive, and also two separate workshops, so if you don't want to spend 12 hours with us, which, like, (laughs) why wouldn't you want to? (laughs) You could take one of the two workshops. Um, And then Hot Rocks will be at the end of June. In Clovis, which is not too far from Fresno. Um, We'll be teaching a Tessera 
sampler, sampler platter. platter. Which is funny if you know that all of our movements are named after food. And not funny if you don't know what a sampler platter is. Well, yeah, so funny story. I can't believe we've never mentioned Kate on this on the podcast before. Um, she was helping us edit our uh, Tessera workshop, and she was like, what the fuck is a sampler platter? <laughs> she was like, I don't think we have those here. And I, I Googled it, and it turned up some weird sex shit. <laughs> I think they call them starters. Starters? Yeah. But it's not just like a starter. It's like a bunch of random starters. Like an appetizer platter that you go to Denny's and get exactly. like mozzarella sticks and jalapeno Yeah. Peppers. And like a blooming onion. <laughs> I really wanted to call it the poo-poo platter. <laughs> but I feel like that's extremely like West Coast specific. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so those were like the imminent... Yes. The imminent things that are coming up. Anyway, well, at some point, I guess we'll do like a festival etiquette thing. We should have Kate on for that. She can tell us all how to not be assholes. She's really good at pointing out asshole behavior, (laughs) which is a part of why I love her so much. That and she was pretty important in my development as a dancer because she would always call me on my sloppy shit. She will tell you the truth. And if you're not prepared for that... Tell her no thank you, and she will back off. (laughs) But I'm always here for it. I'm like, tell me the down and dirty, what was terrible about my performance. I always imagine her watching me. If I, please get yourself one of those friends that will tell you the absolute truth about your performance. Right. But I mean, the thing is like, Kate's not going to tell you unless you ask ask for for it. Or for me, she's like, so I watched your performance. Do you want to know what I thought? And I always have the option to say no. Yeah. I think I've only ever done it once, but I went back and went, all right, what'd you think? Well, you know? you gotta be like ready for it. Yeah. You have I don't to think I was, right I think place. I was like at work or yeah. something. Anyway, get yourself a friend who will tell you tea. Everyone needs a Kate. Yeah. Everyone needs a bad story. But you can't have ours because she's No, ours. she's ours. Yeah. <laughs> <Plain> sorry. <term. laughs> We're taking up all of our time. Yeah. <laughs> Way off track now. Yeah, okay. I guess, I mean, this is usually, this is usually when we need to go. <laughs> yeah. When we started to just talk a bunch of shit. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Q, an ATS podcast with Sophia Salazar-Rubio and Jesse Stanbridge. The music in this episode is Quincas by Beto Velares, available from the Free Music Archive. We hope to see you at one of the many festivals coming up, both in the Bay Area and beyond. If you have any questions for us, feel free to shoot us a message at whatstheq at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time.